does a player engineer a move? Why do clubs dig their heels in? What about players that become surplus to requirements? And how important are the agents in all of this? We'll cover all these topics and more on today's Transfer Daily. <laughs> Yes, we're going to be dissecting an article from Stuart James on today's edition, which deals with the nitty-gritty of getting players, agents and clubs the moves that they want. Another of our senior writers, Dominic Fifield, will join us too to weigh in on that. Uh, we'll focus on the women's transfer window, which closed yesterday with Kieran Taven. And we'll have updates from Liverpool. How severe is Mane's injury? Will they act in the window over the next week? And Leeds as well. We'll find out what's going on there with Phil Hay. Right then, hello, it's Adam Leventhal. Thanks for joining us once again here on the Ornstein and Chapman feed for Transfer Daily from The Athletic. Uh, just a quick bonus, if you are a first-time listener, to become a fully-fledged subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off using the discount code UKPOD. And it means... You get to read articles like the one we're going to base today's episode on, which was written by Stuart James, who alongside Dominic Fifield joined me today. Good to have you on board. So, Stuart, I um, I listened to your article on the way back from Liverpool. I've been to uh, Tranmere and back since yesterday's edition. I hear you say, how did you listen to it, Adam? Both of you, you're interested, aren't you? I've got your attention yeah. because many people won't know that on The Athletic there is a natty little feature which allows you to hear the articles if you're on the move on your headphones and what you need to do is go to the bottom of the article and at the bottom you'll see the little share icon on the right hand side if you press that and then you scroll up if you're on an iPhone I guess it's the same for all other phones you have the option to speak article and then you have a voice that speaks to, to you like this but one golden rule has to be observed what you must never do is get an owner angry. Once a billionaire owner says, So there you go. You see, received. you can listen wow. to the articles. It's a game the, changer. The vo it is a game changer. The voice is slightly grating, but you get used to it. And you can also speed it up, which is quite entertaining. Anyway, so I listened to the article on the way back from Liverpool today. And I just picked out a few um, lines and phrases that I thought are really important on the topic of players trying to get the moves that they want. And the first two things that I wrote down, Stu, that I wanted to get your thoughts on and it's, it's a difficult balance to strike. Don't upset the owners, but you'll never get a move by being nice. Well, it's a battle of wills, isn't it, at times? Yeah, that, that really came through with the agent I um, spoke to and the quotes I used at the, at the top of the piece, really, when uh, he was, he was kind of laughing to me when he was, when he was saying that because, um, and he, he was telling me about a scenario they were in, which I, I can't unfortunately reveal or I'd reveal who the agent is and he didn't want to go on the record. But when they were trying to do a big move a few years ago and, and the thing they absolutely dreaded, he said, was um, the owner uh, coming out at some point and saying, you know, player X is not for sale. Because he said at that point, you know, that those were his words and how he sort of said it, deal does not happen. He said that that's an, uh, absolutely the end. But he, he clearly sort of... Um, quite relished in a way the the manager or the chief at Zec or the technical director saying the player's not for sale because quite simply he didn't believe it and he felt as if it was a bit of a sort of PR move that the club had to do but yeah that was the the golden rule do not um do not get in a situation where the owner um comes out and says that and and he was also saying that in the context Adam of you know 
why you why you sometimes end up going to war with these people you have to be careful what 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 fights you pick really and and, and upsetting the owner is clearly a a, a total a total non-starter but you know it was interesting because also when I spoke to a few agents and I was probably a little bit naive really at first thinking about it um where, where I sort of said oh have you ever had to force a move and and pretty much everyone I spoke to was like well that happens all the time um you know yes it might not mean that a player goes on strike or, or or does something really extreme but you know they said very few transfers will happy will happen with um you know with, with in, a, in a smooth fashion and and yeah being nice quite simply means you'll probably end up staying where you are dom your your view on it i'm just thinking there about you know a club that's close to your heart in, in crystal palace and you know how wilfred zahar has sort of been in this sort of situation over the last 12 months uh, in particular you have to be prepared to rock the boat but you but you also have to go through with it in the end don't you and get your timing right i mean yes. the, the problem that wilfred zaha had in the summer was that when he handed in that transfer request it was uh, 24 hours before the the cutoff before the deadline <laughs> yeah. so you know, why would crystal palace have sanctioned a, uh, you know, even if someone had offered anything approaching what their, their asking price was, why would they have sanctioned a move with absolutely no time to to bring in a replacement? So, uh, you know, that that one from the outside looking in, it looked like a player that had just grown so frustrated uh, that this was his last resort. It was interesting that you know his 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 agents at the time, um, Unique Sports Management, may not have been necessarily encouraging him to do that. And you know, obviously in the time period since. We've seen a sort of parting of the ways, albeit he's still apparently contractually bound to USM. Um, and he's with what Pini Zahavi now, is that right? Pini Zahavi is yeah, he's 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 touting his name around, and he has he has got, basically got the mandate to to try and move him on from Will's perspective. But I, we, we've seen in the last few days, I think that the, the reality of the situation is that no one is going to offer again what what Palace want for the player, so he will be there until the summer, and then we'll. <laughs> for the about the fourth or fifth transfer window in in a row, we'll revisit a a, a very familiar situation and, and see whether there are suitors out there that are willing to pay the price. And Stu, I mean, on on that point, mm. it will always come down whether it's acrimonious or if it's harmonious that the club will want the money to be right. That is that that's the bottom line, virtually always, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, Leicester with Maguire is a is a good example of that in the summer. While Maguire didn't um cause any sort of major issues, uh, they were absolutely adamant that, that you know, fee would be what it what it was, you know, eighty million pounds and they weren't gonna entertain anyone trying to sort of um bully them into into getting them up, get them on the cheap. I guess equally what probably helped in that instant was it seeing that Maguire was gonna um behave pretty well, you know, all things considered and and uh, not do an awful lot to rock the boat. They knew that he wanted to leave, but um, he he didn't make things really difficult in the way that some of the players highlighted in that article did. That said, perhaps those players felt that they really had no choice. I think sometimes you get situations where people are badly advised. One thing I didn't touch on in the article was obviously the you know notorious Peter Odenwingi story, um, <laughs> because you know I was in many ways trying to talk about players who who uh, forced a move and got their way at the end of it, whereas Peter didn't. And it was interesting talking to a few agents um, I, about that when I was, um, you know, when I was making my phone calls for the piece and, and his name did come up. And, 
you know, in, in a few of them, I guess they're going to say this anyway, but they, they were saying, you know, the first thing he should have done the following morning was sacked his agent because, you know, any any player who, who goes out on a limb like that is, you know, very unlikely to be doing it uh, off his own back. You know, the feeling was that someone would have said to him, look, come on, you've got to get in your, you've got to get to the ground. You've got to do something here to force this transfer. So, um, yeah, that I mean, that, that, that was really obviously uh, uh, an extreme case, but... You know, when we started going deeper on the Kabai transfer with Newcastle and Arsenal in 2013, and what was reported at the time was that um, the the two clubs couldn't agree a fee and that Arsenal wouldn't meet Newcastle's valuation. Um, and I guess it's easier now to get the full details through time, but it, what we understand now is that actually, well, they had pretty much agreed a deal, but at the very last moment, um, Wenger had a change of heart. And obviously, Kabai by this point had gone on strike and refused to play in matches. And you can probably imagine how he felt when that news was broken to him. So, um, yeah, the fee should be the the fundamental thing that decides whether the transfer takes place. But you you can get a spanner in the works really late on. Is is that example illustrated really? What are some of the the best examples in the article of um, players rocking the boat, downing tools, and yeah. becoming a a bad egg? Savage is really. I spoke to Robbie I, I, after I can remember this kind of extract in, in his book. And, and when, I, when I sort of spoke to him, it's a fair point, really, because he initially said to me, well, what more can I say? He said, I've, you know, everything's there in the book. And he had been pretty open in the book. And you look at the comments under the article and, you know, obviously people aren't very impressed with what Savage did and what he said, which was basically, you know, he admitted going out in his last game for Birmingham City in, uh, against Newcastle and not trying in the game. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, pretty much, yeah, down in tools, as you say, um, he'd gone into Steve Bruce's office. He says now he, it, there were some personal issues, but he, he admits that he, uh, you know, exaggerated some things, lied about some aspects um, in order to try and get his move. He, he says he sort of, you know, broke down in tears and he was putting that on a little bit. And um, he even got a, um, a reporter, Sky Cameraman, to come along to, to training when all the players were off and, and tried to sort of manufacture a situation that made it look like he'd been asked to come in on his own. Um, and he wanted to generate publicity around that. So, yeah, Robbie pretty much tried every trick in the book, really. And, and ultimately, he? he got his way. You know, I guess the if you're asking for some of the bonkers things, it was, you know, told about a Tottenham player who went out on the training ground and just started kicking footballs everywhere um, to be as disruptive as possible. But <laughs> probably the Galas story and Dom will, you know, will have covered this at the time. Um, or will certainly remember this. Um, the, the crazy statement that was released about a week after he left um, when, when Chelsea had clearly uh, had enough and, and they accused Galas, you know, uh, publicly of, of saying that if, if uh, he didn't get his move, he would score an own goal. Um, make a deliberate mistake or, or get sent off. And, was, you know, when I was reading that statement back, it is, it is remarkable when you look through it. Galas, we should say, came out later on and, and denied that he'd uh, that he ever uh, said any of those things. But, yeah. I think I Chelsea what... railed back in as well, to be Did fair. They, the, yeah. The, yeah. A threat of legal action might have hovered over that one. It is an interesting point, though, on, you know, what can be done when when a player is is really trying to sort of maneuver a position because at the end of it they can only really fine a player which is highlighted in the article two weeks wages and that's just a it's just a drop in the ocean so if you really want to be disruptive you just can be can't you i guess you can yeah and you know speaking to david sullivan about it and he was saying that you know his inclination is to really dig his heels in and and um, you know almost try and make an example of players at times. But he said that actually the manager will come to you quite quickly and say, 
we need to get this guy out because the manager's thinking two things fundamentally. One, that the player um, will normally in that situation end up being quite a disruptive influence and create a bad atmosphere around the change room. And of course, the manager's looking after his own interests. You know, while an owner might think, do you know what, I'm going to make an example of this player and keep him and show we won't be bullied, you know, by, by players. Um, really, that achieves nothing for the manager who's lost the services of what will usually be one of his best players and also he hasn't had a chance to bring in a replacement so so that dynamic is quite interesting where where you know the the chairman or the owner might decide that they really want to be quite strong about the situation whereas the manager quite quickly wants to wash his hands of it and say come on you need to move him on in terms of um what happens on international duty as well i'm always intrigued dom i mean maybe you can you can come in on this when a player sort of feels freer to talk about their uh, domestic issues when they're away with their international teammates. And then usually what happens is they say something that is incendiary and the press officers back at the club say, oh, no, 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 he didn't say that. It was, it was lost in translation. It happens all, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, the Football Association have clamped down on that in relatively recent times um, when it comes to the England players going off on international duty. And we, we find that... that uh, Discussing club issues uh, is not really done. Um, that they, they try and clamp down on that in, in terms of mix zones and press conferences. But certainly, you know, the, the, the foreign players based in in the Premier League who, who go off and play for their nations, and then you, you will get these these comments that are that appear in the press overseas and, and are picked up quite quickly over here. And yeah, they I think they just they relax, they let their guard down, they. They use it as an opportunity to, yeah, to, to, to express their mind, to, to, to say what they really think. Um, and then uh, I think initially, well, if you go back 10 years or maybe a bit, a bit further, they probably thought that those quotes would never really reappear over here. But obviously with the internet these days and social media, they're, they're often, you know, broadcast or, or or picked up by by the papers over here, you know, within within minutes and and there's no escape and then it becomes this awkward climb down situation where the, the player is reprimanded on the quiet by his club what are you doing what are you thinking how can you possibly say this and then and the club has to issue some kind of statement or or make it clear that, yeah it was taken horribly out of context he didn't say he wanted to leave and, and hated living at this club and everything about this club he actually meant something completely different and he was just talking <laughs> about the calf down the road or something but it's 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 yeah it's more and more common and uh, and and I think that's why when you when you see the comments you have to you have to judge them um, and you have to to work out whether they're plausible or not and you you look at the context of of that player situation at any club and I think most people can read between the lines these days. Uh, Stu, I wanted to ask you about two more things and I'll, I'll yeah. get your thoughts on it as well, Dom. Um, you talk about the the incident involving Raheem Sterling and his former agent Ad yeah. Ward. You know, sometimes it will appear that the player and the agent aren't a match made in heaven by what comes out. But ultimately, it worked out for both parties, didn't it? Even though they, they split afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing there with... When I spoke to agents about that, and obviously they're talking about someone within their industry, while they... You know, I think the, the term used was it really is a last resort. And I think what they meant by that was not just the, the way that it was played out in public, but the fact that A.D. Ward really, you know, in kind of agent terms, went to war with Liverpool over that, didn't he? He, he didn't really care about the any upset he'd cause. Um, and 
but what came back really was that you know agents in, in a way sort of kind of admired that bit in the end he did deliver the move for Sterling and while you know Liverpool fans and a lot of other football fans won't really like hearing that you know ultimately that was Ward's sole objective to to find a way of getting Sterling the the transfer that he wanted and it was strange how it was all played out when you you know that 27 minute interview that Sterling did with the BBC which was obviously you know it was done without Liverpool knowing about it and it was all designed it was kind of like a drip 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 effect really of of kind of uh, clearing that path of what was going to happen in the summer I mean he says in that that he was sort of flattered by Arsenal's interest and I don't know you you get the feel that they probably must have known then that it was going to be Man City where he'd end up going Uh, and then obviously Ward made those his comments when he said, you know, it wouldn't matter if Liverpool pay him nine hundred thousand pounds a week, and it was it was fairly obvious what was, um, you know, what what was going to go on then. But yeah, the, you know, the 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 bottom line with all that is obviously, you know, Sterling Sterling did get his transfer, and um, and he said that it was about footballing reasons, and you know, ultimately, obviously, prior to this season, um, he he's had huge success with Man City, and it's looked like you know he's he's made the right move. His his career has moved on, but it was it was obviously handled in a way that, you know, that wasn't nice for him. The, the thing I find interesting about that as well is kind of you know at the time the noises are that when an agent is behaved like that, the club won't ever deal with him again. Um, but you know, football, the way that football is, if that agent then has a client that the the club wants. Then they're not gonna, um, you know, bridges don't really get burnt in that way. I and mean, I think uh, Ad Ward, together with Mark Chamberlain, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain's dad, Ad uh, represents uh, Alex, and he's at Liverpool now, obviously. So, you know that that's how it works. And you know the the quote I finished the article with sums it all up. When you know the agent just said this, it's just one big game, really. Um, yeah. And, and that's that's the nature of the beast with with agents and football and, and transfers. Uh, one other quick thing, Stu, before I ask Dom about yeah. a particular um, transfer. We've talked about players and agents, you know, using cunning techniques. But mm. clubs, if they want to get rid of players as well, they can be very clinical themselves too. Absolutely. And that, you know, that was, again, an interesting point that kind of came through and in, in sort of runs counter to the piece in a way because the piece was fundamentally about players trying to force a move. But... Yeah, several people did say that to me that this is, you know, this is a two-way street. Uh, if if clubs want someone out, um, you know, they they can be pretty brutal about that, really, in terms of how they treat them. And we've all, you know, seen you know, the, the the phrase "the bomb squad." You know, that's happened at a lot of clubs. I can think about a few that I covered in, you know, not too long ago, Stoke City and Aston Villa, where there were a sort of quite a number of players who basically been told that they wouldn't play for the first team again and. Um, were made to train away from the rest of the group and often at clubs in those situations players are um, told to come in at times when they wouldn't necessarily want to and the club try and make their life as difficult as possible for them. Sometimes it might be because the player has been a problem and obviously that's a different situation but on other occasions it's just simply that they you know they want them out of the club. Those players are on a lot of money and they want to try and um, create a situation that forces the player to leave before he perhaps otherwise would. Um, they might find it difficult to get a buyer, someone who's willing to pay the, the wages that they're on. So they're trying to make the player's life as difficult as possible in order that they um, decide that enough's enough and, and maybe they'll accept a, a drop in wages to go and play football elsewhere. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's uh, everyone's kind of everyone's kind of doing the same thing in a way. And, and yeah, it's certainly... you. you the easy thing to do is say this is just you know this is this is all about players and their, and agents, but 
clubs have a role to play in it as well that, that sometimes isn't isn't too nice. Dom, I wanted to ask you about a, a specific player and uh, a link that I suppose draws on you know an interesting theme over the last couple of years, and that's players uh, heading over to China to play their football, and it's had a big impact on the on the transfer markets. Maybe sometimes a, a tool that is used by um, clubs to ramp up the prices. But Yannick Carrasco uh, heading back to um, to Europe and potentially going to be playing for Crystal Palace. What's what's your understanding of of that situation? Well, he's available. He wants to come back and play in a Western European league. Uh, his preference would be London. Um, he's spoken to Palace um, and had uh, productive talks with them initially. Um, but it's just, it's still very much a it's a very complicated move to negotiate um, for a number of different reasons. Not least the fact that his current club Dalian have have just changed ownership. Um, so for, for Palace to negotiate directly with them is, is awkward. Um, Carrasco, as far as I know, doesn't have a, he's not contracted to a, a specific agent, but he tends to use, uh, has used Christophe Henrote, um, a, a Belgian agent who is currently uh, on bail in, in, in Monaco, having been charged with, amongst other things, fraud and forgery and money laundering. Um, so that again makes life slightly awkward when you're negotiating <laughs> a, a move. Um, now there are there are other moving parts to this. I mean, I, I suspect that if he does come, he will come initially on loan, but with a view to signing permanently. Um, whether that's a twelve twelve month loan or an eighteen month loan, we'll see. Uh, with a loan fee that Dalian take, and then a set set amount to, to join in future, but. But as I say, very, very early on in negotiations, I, I, his wage was huge in China and, and all the guys who went over there were on big, big money. Um, I, I, the impression I get is that he is realistic about what a club like Crystal Palace can offer him. Um, and I don't think he would be commanding wages of six figures a week. I think it would be, well, without bonuses, I think it would be uh, more sort of around the 75, 80 grand a week margin so that is something that Crystal Palace can do um, but again it's just whether they can negotiate some kind of deal both with Dalian and with the player to, to, to make this happen. I'd say at the moment it's more likely to happen than not but you know some intricate negotiations to take place in the next few days. And it'll be interesting to see um, what standard he's at and whether he's ready to sort of hit the ground running after after being in in China, which is always a, a concern because they're off. They've had their season, haven't they? So they're off yeah, season at the moment. That's a really good point. I mean, he, his last game was on the first of December, yeah. Um, and since then, he's not involved in with their pre-season training camp in Spain, um, where presumably Rafael Benitez will be will be going. Um, he's the manager of of, of his side, um, but he's in fact he's he's in Belgium. I think he's in Antwerp, and he's training basically with a personal trainer, um, trying to keep fit that way but he's not I mean particularly for a, for a manager like Roy Hodgson who who basically likes his players to to get used to the rhythm of of the of the, the team and, and the training before he'll put them in the first team so that often there's you'll find that Roy Hodgson's summer signings don't break into the the side until the late autumn um, mm. even the onset of winter now if if Carrasco comes in he would expect to get into that team pretty pretty quickly 
Um, and he, he'd have to convince the manager as well that he's worthy of a place in a side that admittedly has been struggling badly to score goals this season. And you'd like to think that Carrasco would make an, a, a positive impact on that front. We shall see. We have a week to go in the transfer window. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of uh, engineering and there's going to be plenty of uh, surprise names popping up in the Premier League. Uh, Dom and Stuart as well, thank you very much for coming on Transfer Daily. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Right, still to come, we're going to be hearing from Kieran Tavum on the women's transfer window. Uh, but first, I just wanted to check in with Liverpool and Leeds. We'll start with Liverpool because Jurgen Klopp has been speaking today over the severity of Sadio Mane's injury and whether he is going to act over the next week. Hello, it's James Pearce, the Athletics Liverpool correspondent. And for the Premier League leaders, there's an anxious wait for the results of Sadio Mane's scan after he went off with a hamstring problem in Thursday night's win over Wolves. Jurgen Klopp pretty confident it was it would be a, a matter of weeks rather than months for the Senegal international and I think I think regardless I, I, I can't see uh, a spell on the sidelines for Mane forcing Liverpool back into the, the transfer market before it shuts at the end of January I think Klopp was delighted to bring Takumi Minamino on board uh, £7.25 million signing from Salzburg and with Divock Origi, Adam Lalana, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and uh, Zerdan Shakiri to come back as well as well as youngsters Curtis Jones and, and Harvey Elliott coming through. He's uh, he's blessed with plenty of attacking options in that department. Uh, there's been interest in Shakiri, uh, loan offers from Sevilla and from Roma, um, but Liverpool not prepared to let the Swiss international go during this window. Phil Hay here, the Athletics League United writer. Um, just a couple of little updates from Ellen Road. Uh, the signing of Ian Paveda from Manchester City uh, due to go through any minute. Uh, he was at Leeds yesterday, um, Thursday morning, for his medical, which is passed. Um, all terms agreed with him and, and with Manchester City. Just a case of the paperwork to finish off uh, and pervade his deal to officially go through and, and to be announced. So that one will, will come shortly. Otherwise, it, it leaves Leeds really looking for their, their main priority and, and the thing that's been bothering them throughout the window, which is a centre forward and, and a new striker. Um, still haven't given up hope on, on Shea Adams, despite the fact that Southampton. I've been holding firm over this one and, and Raph Hassan-Hottel shows no sign at all of, of bending and, and letting Adams go. It will be interesting this weekend to see whether or not Adams features heavily in the, the FA Cup um, because it, it is clear to us and has been clear for a while that, that he is keen on this move to Leeds. But Sources tell The Athletic that the club are, are looking very closely at Jean-Kevin Augustine, um, French striker who is currently on loan at Monaco from Red Bull Leipzig, um, a player that, that Marcelo Bielsa is very keen on and, and it's been apparent in the past few days that Leeds have been turning their attention more towards the international market after failing with three offers for, for Shea Adams at Southampton. Um, it's a complicated situation because Augustine is on loan at Monaco until the end of the season and, and Monaco aren't keen to lose him. But he's only started two games. He's He's had very little game time there. And we understand that he is open to other opportunities. He, he does like the idea of, of playing with Bielsa. Um, and I think it's very possible that in, in the next few days it will be the case that, that he returns to Leipzig. But but that is very much in Monaco's hands. They could very easily block this. Um, it is by no means certain. But as, as we understand it, this, this is the latest news. So thanks to Phil Hay and James Pearce for the latest on Liverpool and Leeds. Uh, before we go, 
The women's transfer window in this country closed yesterday and Kieran Tavum, who covers women's football for The Athletic, joins us now just to sort of take us through the, the main bits of news. First of all, was there a lot of business done on the on the last day, Kieran? <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on again, Adam. No, as we discussed earlier on in the month, uh, didn't expect a huge amount of movement uh, during this January transfer window and it turned out to be that way. We saw a few moves um, happen on the final day, but not an awful lot. There was a little bit of last-minute business that we saw. Irish international Rihanna Jarrett uh, moved to Brighton a minute before the deadline, or it was certainly announced a minute before the deadline. But um, nice. no, we saw we saw a few, um, and as is tradition in the men's game as well, we saw uh, a few announced uh, the day after. So um, our story on Australian international Caitlin Ford potentially joining Arsenal did happen. She was announced uh, this morning, so she will be coming to Arsenal after Olympic qualifying. And we also saw uh, Manchester United goalkeeper Emily Ramsey join Sheffield United on loan. She's signed a new contract at the Red Devils, uh, but she's been loaned out immediately to Championship Club Sheffield United, who are, are pushing for promotions. So a few deals going on, but not the craziness that we see in the men's game. But were there big deals done earlier on? And, it, and if so, what were they? Yeah, the biggest deal done was was probably actually a bit of a surprise. Uh, bottom club Bristol City announced the signing of another Australian. That's an, another one that's coming over to England. Uh, Chloe Legazzo. Uh, Chloe is an experienced Australian player, has over 40 caps for a country. Um, really good player, versatile, can play along the midfield, will add a lot of quality. Uh, that one came a little, as a little bit of a surprise. As I said, we've seen some other Australians as well. I mentioned Caitlin Ford coming to Arsenal. Sam Kerr obviously came over to Chelsea at the start of the window. Hayley Rasso going to Everton as well. But I think Chloe's was probably the biggest surprise. Uh, good signing. They've got an Australian coach, Tanya Oxtoby. So I'm sure that link obviously helped. But that was probably the highest profile one that we saw on deadline day. And just before we go... Um... I saw this morning dropping on The Athletic was a new article of yours going behind the scenes at Paris Saint-Germain. Just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, at PSG, uh, in the men's game, obviously the dominant force, but in the women's, it's not the case. Lyon are the team that win trophy after trophy and get all of the recognition and attention over here. Uh, so PSG was a real opportunity to go behind the scenes, go and talk to some of those people that that work at the club. Um, it was really interesting to learn some anecdotes about, you know, the fact that French players learn English there. You know, when the Kylian Mbappe interview appeared on social media and everyone was like, God, I didn't know that Kylian spoke such good English. I wasn't actually surprised because I'd had that insight into what PSG do in making their French players learn English. And the reason behind that is because obviously a lot of the overseas players that come into the club have English as their second language and don't necessarily speak French. So the, the reason that they make their players do that is so that as soon as an overseas player comes in, they can immediately communicate with those French players. So it was really interesting to go and spend a bit of time. There's some really good stuff going on at the club. And, uh, you know, I'd really recommend people read it because uh, there's some uh, some interesting stuff about how PSG are trying to get into the fashion world as well. So uh, definitely some some little anecdotes there that are worth reading about. Yeah, excellent. Kieran, thank you very much. Indeed, they can read it or they can listen to it, as I alluded to a little bit earlier on. Right, time has beaten us. Uh, Kieran, thank you. Uh, thanks to the gents for joining us uh, earlier on as well. And we will be back next week for the final run-in, the uh, final five days of the transfer window, which will slam shut, of course next Friday. Uh, it'll be Jackie Oatley on Monday and Tuesday. I'll be back Wednesday, Thursday. And then Caroline Barker, I think, is going to be uh, taking us right up to the deadline 
on Friday. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Music.